Well, since I uh, began here, we've been doing lessons on Sunday evening that uh, come from uh, the stories of the, the kings of Israel and Judah and from the prophets. And I, I appreciate uh, the feedback I've gotten from some of you that uh, you've uh, enjoyed these lessons and some of the practical lessons we can get from revisiting these stories. We've been looking at these for a quarter now, roughly. And I like to shift gears from time to time on, on Sunday night and do things in sort of little mini-series. And beyond that, we've gone from the beginning of the United Kingdom to, in our last lesson, uh, Josiah. We didn't cover every single one, but we covered a lot of ground there. We've gone really from the beginning to the end. And so tonight, we want to begin something completely uh, different, but that also, I, I hope, will be beneficial for us and have some good practical material for us. A Jesuit priest once complained bitterly about Martin Luther. And he wrote, Martin Luther has murdered more souls with his songs than with his writings and sermons. Now we know the name Martin Luther, and Luther is most familiar to us as really the father of the Protestant Reformation. But you might not also know that Luther was the one who reintroduced congregational singing to the church after centuries of neglect. And in fact, Luther himself wrote this, the devil flees from the sound of music almost as much as from the word of God. I like that thought. Because it reminds us that there's little Satan can do when God's people unite in song. We raise our voices together to, to warn one another, to teach one another and instruct one another, to praise God. And because that's so powerful, the devil will do just about anything he can to keep us from doing that. Well, you know, only... Only people with good voices should sing out. Or those are, those are old songs. I don't like those. I only like the newer songs. Or those are new songs. I only like those older classics. Or those are too fast. I really only like the ones that are slow and meaningful. Or all the songs we sing are too slow. I, I like them fast where we can really get behind it. On and on and on we could go with this, complaining about everything under the sun. Instead, what I want to encourage us to do, not only tonight, but in this series of lessons, let's put him to flight by singing with all of our hearts. The 107th Psalm, beginning in verse number one, the psalmist writes, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered from the, in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. The Lord is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I think of any number of examples from the New Testament. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus and his apostles ate a meal together. He washed their feet and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus went out there to pray. But do you remember the last thing they did before they left? They sung a hymn before they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
Several years later, the Apostle Paul and his traveling companion Silas had been beaten, unjustly thrown in prison in the city of Philippi, and yet we find them there at midnight singing praises to God. Or I think about the words of James, the Lord's brother. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. We could go on and on like this, but the point is the early Christians were a singing people. They sang as they walked up and down on their journeys. They sang as they went about their daily lives. They sang in their assemblies. They sang sometimes meeting secretly in caves or in other secret locations. Singing was an important part of their lives. That makes me wonder if we give it the attention that it deserves. Or if it's one of those things that, well, we just sort of take for granted and we do it by rote when we come here together and we don't put a whole lot of thought into it. It's just one more thing that we need to, to check off on our list of duties that we participate in here together. What I want us to do starting this evening is to examine our worship and song, and in particular, I want us over the coming weeks to really look at, at some of the songs that we sing, have some lessons that are inspired by some of our familiar hymns, and see what content they have to teach us. But first of all, tonight, just by way of introducing this, I want to think about the idea of singing more generally. When we sing, who's the beneficiary? Who do we help? Our singing is directed primarily to God, of course, and just like everything in our worship, it has to be done on His terms. But even though it's offered to God, it's really designed to help each other. We're singing in a very real sense to one another. There's not only that vertical dimension, but there's a, a horizontal aspect to it as well. There's a conversation going on. There's any number of passages in the New Testament that teach this. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16. Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's a similar passage in Ephesians chapter, nine, or chapter 5 and verse 19 where he encourages those in Ephesus to speak to one another or to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Or we can think about the passage that was read just a few minutes ago, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, where he says, I will sing with my spirit and I will sing with the understanding, with my mind also. You see, it's possible to sing and to hit every note perfectly and for it to be completely irrelevant. But it's also possible for us to sing and to miss every single note. Maybe you can't carry a tune in a bucket. And to still be pleasing to God. Because what matters in our singing is not the tune, it's not the music, it's the words. It's the content that the songs have. What do the words say? What do they teach? And fundamentally, they should be teaching about God. And they do that in several different ways. 
For one thing, some of our songs teach about God's great acts. I think about a well-known hymn of praise, How Great Thou Art. And if you want to, you should take a song book. I thought about putting these up on the projector. But I really want us to actually look at the words, and that would sort of defeat the purpose. So I know we don't get these out too much, uh, but go ahead and take it out and look at this along with me. Number 76, How Great Thou Art. Singing is a way of acknowledging God by praising Him, by confessing His name, by talking about the mighty acts that He's performed. But you see, we also teach one another about who God is when we sing songs like this. And in fact, I couldn't have a lesson like this if I didn't sing at least one extra song, right? So we're going to do that now. We're going to sing number 76, just the first and the last verse. Two verses because they teach about it's on, it's coming back up. Majesty in making the world. And that's something that strikes us, maybe because, well, most of us, even here, this is a small town, but it's still not exactly the country anymore. 
And most people in this nation live in big cities, and maybe we don't really appreciate the grandeur of God's creation anymore. That's a, a scriptural concept, by the way, praising God because he's the creator. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies above his handiwork, the beginning of the 19th Psalm. But you notice here, this song talks about a lot more than rocks and trees. Verses 3 and 4 get right to the heart of the narrative of Scripture. When I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And then the song goes on in the fourth verse to proclaim the certainty of Christ's return. We sang that just a moment ago. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. So we see here this song, the way songs teach us, this song not only praises God, it tells us why we ought to be praising God. It's teaching that to us. The first two verses, because of his power demonstrated in creation. The third verse, because of Christ's death on our behalf. And then finally, because Christ is going to return. See, this is a song that's just full of scriptural teaching. We shouldn't take that for granted. We shouldn't miss that. We need to understand that. And that's a message that we need to be able to, to teach to our children, that we need to be able to teach to people who come here and visit with us. It's a message that we need to put in our hearts and carry around with us each and every day. And if we do that, without question, the word of Christ will come to dwell in us richly, as Paul says in Colossians 3. So what we see, and there are obviously lots of other songs we could put in this category, songs of praise. Songs of praise tell about God. They praise God. They bring glory to him. But in doing that, they teach one another. We can see numerous examples of that from the Psalms, where Israel is rehearsing God's great deeds, the fact that he brought them up out of Egypt, the fact that he defeated so many of their enemies, the fact that he's faithful to them. It's the same way that we sing about Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. All of these songs are opportunities not only to praise God, but to, to teach one another. Another category of songs, another way that they teach, songs teach about the responsibility that we have to each other. There are a lot of songs that are songs of exhortation or admonition. We're trying to spur one another on. Uh, so we're urged to love one another. They'll know we're Christians by our love. Or we're urged to yield not to temptation because yielding is sin. These are songs that teach us how to live the Christian life. I think of songs like number 719, and we won't sing this one, but I, I do want you to look at the words. Uh, angry words are titled, Love One Another, in this book. Angry words, oh, let them never from my tongue unbridled slip. That word unbridled makes us think of what James has to say about the tongue. In James chapter 3, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so the horse can obey us in the same way uh, the tongue can control our entire bodies. It's a very powerful instrument. And then, of course, the chorus, love one another, thus says the Savior, children obey the Father's blessed command. The chorus is taken directly from John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, 
where Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I've loved you, so you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. So what we note here in songs that teach us about our responsibility to each other, songs are a lot like a sermon. They exhort, they encourage, they admonish, just like sermons do. That's precisely what our hymns are supposed to be doing if we focus upon and appreciate the words. One other type of song in the way that it teaches that I want to notice this evening. Some songs teach about our responsibility to God. Now, this type of song can take a lot of different forms. Sometimes we might be addressing one another, spurring one another on in our responsibility to God. That kind of overlaps with those songs of exhortation. Sometimes there might be songs that uh, actually address God directly, and we're promising to be more committed, more faithful to Him. We might promise that we'll surrender all to Jesus, for example. Or we might remind ourselves that there's no turning back when I've decided to follow Jesus. Or we might think about a song like our closing song this evening. We'll work till Jesus comes. We're reminding ourselves of that important duty that we have. In all these, we're teaching our absolute dedication to God. A good example is number 664. Take my life and let it be. I won't sing this one also because, unfortunately, the tune that I know and that you probably know is 669, but it doesn't have all the verses like this one does. Uh, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Consecrated is to be holy, to be set apart, to be completely and totally devoted to the Lord. And when we do that, we offer all of ourselves in full service to him. And notice the progression here in this song. In each successive verse, the worshiper talks about what he's going to offer to the Lord. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. He talks in the third verse about taking his voice and letting him sing, taking his lips to offer a message to God. In the fourth verse, take my silver and my gold. Uh, Take my intellect, he says. Take my love in verse number five until finally uh, the song culminates in verse number five here. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. It ends with this offer of our entire being to God. I think of Jesus pronouncement of the greatest commandment. When someone comes to him, a young lawyer comes and asks him, which is the greatest commandment? And he says, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We're just scratching the surface here with the types of songs that we sing and how they teach one another, but, but I hope we've been impressed Uh, the importance of this and how our songs can teach one another. So we might ask, well, how can we take our song service, our singing, more seriously? We can offer up just a few practical suggestions here. 
One thing is to, to take some time to read over the lyrics of a song. If, as we've suggested, the lyrics are what are most important, take some time to read over them, mull over them. If you, if you have a songbook at home, it'll be a lot easier. Or these days, you can look up just about any song that you want online. And I think this is especially good advice if you're going to be leading singing to look at these, but you can do this even in your own private devotions. Songs are powerful in teaching. Does, does it refer to Scripture? Does it allude to it? Does it quote it? Well, then maybe go look up that scripture. Maybe even write those references down in the margins. Again, if you have your book at home. You probably don't want to be doing that in the books that are here. Look up some unfamiliar words if there are any. Now, these days we have footnotes in most of our songbooks so that you know things like Ebenezer's A Stone of Help or Eben Pinion is Wings of Darkness. But maybe there are some other terms you don't know. Go look those up so you can sing these songs intelligently. The point is to be sure that we appreciate the lyrics and our understanding the songs enriched. Another suggestion is just to, to try to improve your singing. Now, we've already said that music, the sound, is not our primary focus. But on the other hand, we should always try to offer our best to God. So uh, try to sing more. Try to get better at it. Uh, maybe even learn to read music. Learn new songs. There's a great suggestion. One thing you can do these days, as I said, there's so many songs online. Uh, Abby, a lot of times when she's getting ready on Sunday morning, she'll be listening to this acapella station on YouTube, and it has all these songs. Some of them I've never heard before that are really beautiful. Some of them I don't like so much. But you'll find, you'll find your own favorites there. Above all else, leaving aside any other practical suggestions, the one thing that's important more than anything else, Make sure that your singing comes from the heart. Paul says that we're to sing and to make melodies in our hearts. And that's an instruction that's provided a lot of comfort to a lot of musically challenged people over the years. There might be some people here who sound angelic when they sing. There might be some others who sound more like a frog croaking. You don't have to raise your hand as to which group you're in here. But the organ for our music is the heart. That's where it needs to be. And if our music comes from the heart, no matter what it sounds like, God's going to be pleased with it. I think of an analogy I heard. The Hebrews writer likens our singing to sacrifices. It's the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. And someone once impressed upon me that comparison to sacrifice. You think about burnt offerings in the Old Testament. The animal is completely consumed and all of that burning flesh and the hair on the animal, that didn't smell good at all. And yet that's a sweet savor to the Lord. Think about that when you're singing. Even if it doesn't sound great to you, God is pleased with it if it comes from the heart. We need to sing from the heart so that Young people will see that this is important, that this is a part of our worship, that we take seriously the responsibility we have to God and to each other. We need to sing from the heart because you never know when that might encourage one of your brothers or sisters who are here when they see that zeal that you have. Remember, we're singing partly to one another. We need to sing from the heart because you never know what sort of impact that might have on visitors to our services. We had 195 people here today, it was mentioned. And I told them out front when I heard that, that that's how you know the preacher didn't count, because we would have made 200, I guarantee you. 
But we need to sing from the heart. Those people who were here, some of them might have been months, might have been years since they've been to a church service. Would they have been impressed if they can tell that we really are taking this seriously? There's zeal behind it. Our worship in song can be improved in a lot of ways through taking singing lessons or through good posture or through having the right song leader. But more than anything else, more than those external things that are in a lot of ways superfluous, the heart of good singing is the heart of the singer. Are you redeemed? Have you been forgiven? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you love the Lord? Then say so. Sing it. Redeemed Christians will not have any trouble singing about their redemption. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Forgiven Christians will not have any problem singing about how they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Heaven-bound Christians will not have any problems uh, singing about Sing to me of heaven as we sang a few moments ago. Christians loved by God will have no problem singing about God's love. I want to go back to our text one last time as we close the 107th Psalm and remind you of what the psalmist says there. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he's good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. The secret to good singing lies in the heart. And so if your heart is full of love and mercy and appreciation for what your Lord has done for you, then let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We're going to sing another song here in just a moment, another type of song that we sing by tradition. It's another song of admonition, the invitation song. And that's sung at the close of the sermon to try to admonish people if they need to get their lives right with God to do so. And I want to encourage you now, if you need to make any changes, if you need to get back on that higher ground with God, take the opportunity to make your need known while we stand and while we sing.